Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As always, it is Drew here talking Major League Soccer action with Josh and Connor catching you up as the season gets Really, really close every day. Champions League is not far away. Regular season, not much further along the road. So we're almost there, almost to the light at the end of the tunnel for regular season soccer. Preseason is going on and transfers are still going on. So we are going to catch you up on a wild, wild week of MLS transfers, legal issues and everything in between. So thanks a ton for tuning in to another week. It has been a fun seven days. NBA trade deadline day was today. I know that. The results make a certain person waiting for a certain basketball jersey very happy, considering a certain player is still with the Atlanta Hawks. So we can start with Josh today. Josh, how was your day? How was your week? How's work going for you? How have the last seven days been treating you? Work is tiring. Um, guess what time I went to bed last Friday night? Not Sorry, not went to bed, fell asleep. 3.27 a.m. No, no. I'm doing this like 8 p.m. Close. I fell asleep at 9 p.m. on Friday night. Like my body shut down, crashed. I didn't even finish watching the Hawks lose to the Raptors. I fell asleep on my couch out here in the living room and then just crawled into bed around like 10, 1030. And then I was looking forward to quote unquote sleeping in on Saturday for my 7 a.m. alarm to play soccer. And my body woke up at 6 a.m. Before my alarm, I woke up and I was like, oh, it must be really close. And I looked over and I was like, oh my gosh, I have an hour. So that's what happened to me. That, if that tells you anything about my work and being up so early. So my, uh, my body clock has officially shifted. I, I go to bed at like 10, 1030 now, almost every night, which is crazy. I never thought that would happen to me. Um, but yeah, John Collins is still a hawk. Thank the Lord. It's definitely getting a little stressed there this week. I was a little nervous that today the Travis Schlenk might pull out a real quick last minute deal, but he did not. I am supposed to get my jersey. I think Sunday is when it's going to happen. So I am very excited that I don't have to worry about that. And then I am looking forward to making plans to attend a game in person to see my boy John Collins in the flesh. Um, yeah. And then uh, only other really interesting things for me this week uh, Book of Boba Fett finished on Disney Plus. It was fine. That's all I'll say. I didn't really love it that much. I didn't really hate it. Uh, I disagree with most people who said they loved it, though. I don't really understand. I didn't think it was that amazing. And then also, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this or if you remember, but I am a NASCAR fan, and they raced this past weekend at the LA Coliseum. Did you guys see this? 
I did. One of the few credit to, I know some people don't like it, but I don't really watch NASCAR and that got my attention to watch yes. that race. So I did. Yeah, tune in. And so that's a big part of it is, so they have this race every year. They call it the Bush clash. It's a, it's just an exhibition race. It's for uh, the, the more um, winning drivers from the year before. I won't get into how you qualify for it or anything, but it's been uh, down in Daytona the last, actually forever. And uh, this year they decided to do it out of the LA Coliseum. And while there were some people upset about racing in a football stadium, at the end of the day, it's just an exhibition race. It's not important. And I applaud NASCAR for doing something different and catching people's attention, like Drew, people who don't normally follow the sport, um, or even people in LA who would have never otherwise gone to a race, show up and watch in a football stadium. It looked really cool. Like it looked cool to just be sitting in the seats and like there's the track right in front of you. Um, like not a bad seat in the house, honestly. So that was that was really interesting. I was a little skeptical as to how it would work because it's such a small track, but I think it was just big enough. Uh, and then <laughs> I read an article where the, the the guys at NASCAR responsible for coming up with this idea and executing it are looking at other stadiums. And someone mentioned like Wembley. Uh, it won't work for the record because the Coliseum was built in the 1920s with the track around it. Um, and because of the running track, it's it's like long enough to accommodate a racetrack. If they tried to do it at like Tottenham or, you know, any other soccer slash football stadium in the world, it, it probably wouldn't work just because they don't have that length. Maybe West Ham. I wonder if London Stadium, because they have that track, if I'm not mistaken, going around it. But that's for the crazy people at NASCAR to figure out. That just boggles my mind how they can even pull off something like that. Connor, how was your week? I'm sure... Schools back into the full swing of things. Uh, obviously, some changes over at Staff and Graph and everything. How is everything for you this past week? Uh, yeah, I didn't see that NASCAR stuff at all. Um, period. So clearly, didn't reach the Canadian market. Um, <laughs> although, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah, uh, school. Yeah, sort of. Um, I've only taken four courses this last semester, so it's been pretty light to this point. Um, and one of those courses, I don't even have a class. Uh, it's an internship, so uh, working on finalizing that and securing a placement. Um, but pay, I, you guys talked about all these different sports, and yes, the trade deadline today. My joke was going to be that nothing happened today in the world of sports, but... Uh, you ruined that, Drew. Um, neither of you mentioned the biggest sporting event that's going on right now, the Olympics. I, I know I thought you were about to say the Super Bowl. No. Oh, my <laughs> God. The that Olympics. shows you how, I'll be honest, The this these Winter Olympics have made me realize how little I care about the Olympics. <sighs> Fair enough, I guess. I, I'll be honest, like, I wish I cared more. I just, I just don't like, I'm not drawn by any of, I just don't know what it is. I'm not. I Sports are any... so difficult to understand. I mean, hockey is kind of obviously the big one, but like watching figure skating, I don't know what makes a good routine in figure skating. So I'm like, it's like gymnastics. You see these people do like five backflips and you're like, this is amazing. How do they do this? And the commentators are like, oh, that's horrible. Like she's going <laughs> to get horrible. You're like, what? I don't understand that. Maybe the U S broadcast. Cause I know the U S broadcast the olympics differently than canada canada is really regarded as like one of the top if not the best 
broadcasters when it comes to the Olympics with the CBC, which quite a lot of my friends are a part of working uh, the games this year. Um, so maybe it's just a little different in that sense, but I've been watching a lot of those uh, and understandable Josh, because all of the events start at like earliest 8 PM uh, and then sort of go from there. So you're not awake for that. Um, yeah, that's when I'm enjoying my, my last waking moments of free time before I have to wake up and go to work. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but watching a lot of that snow, snowboard cross was last night. That was amazing. Uh, just a very underrated sport, but yeah, paying a lot of attention to that and staff graph. Uh, I mentioned, I think last week, Rachel got hired by the Vancouver Canucks. So she is We're not- winning the cup. I good luck with that. Um, so she's no longer with the podcast, obviously, uh, which means it's just Mike and he's trying to find a new host and he's got a guest today, hopefully, um, still waiting at that podcast, but we will do that eventually. That is not a concern right now. The concern is MLS and soccer. Uh, and I'm going to start off with something that neither of you have likely seen because it broke quite literally. Um, how long ago is it? Five minutes ago, uh, from Jeff Carlisle sources, San Jose has signed attacker Cade Cowell to a new long-term deal via the MLS U22 initiative. So I want your instant reaction. Cade Cowell as a U22 initiative player. Is it the right call for a kid who's what? 17, maybe 18. Or do you think they should have kept him on his current contract and hoped he didn't head off to Europe? And do you think this will keep him in MLS and stop him from going to Europe? No, it won't stop him. And I don't think they signed this deal with the intention of keeping him in MLS. I think it's to protect should he be snagged by a European team. Because in terms of the physical tools, right, that, that Cal possesses, I mean, he's a freak in a good way. He's just so fast and he's already so strong for his age. Like you said, I mean, he's still what a teenager He's like 18, uh, maybe 19. So I, I think it's just protecting, you know, what will likely happen in the next couple of years is European club comes and snatches them up. This just makes it easier for them to get a transfer fee out of it. Um, and also I like this because this is like the whole point of the U22 initiative, right? Uh, I like that they use it on domestic players or players that have already been on the team like Io Akinola. Um, That's kind of like a no-brainer to me. You increase their pay, which they deserve most more often than not so far. And then again, you're protecting your own investment should another team come in and, and try to purchase that player. Drew, what do you think about Cal being a U22 initiative player now? Yeah, I think Josh hit the nail on the head. I think it's killer. Um, obviously, we've seen what he can do in the league. He's one of, if not the brightest young talents in this league. He's kind of the face of San Jose's franchise right now, being a homegrown player, um, being from California. I'm not sure where in California he's from. But, yeah, from the state, um, 18 years old, good player, good talent in the league. And I think this is just, again, pretty repeating what Josh said, just an attempt to make sure that when he does go to Europe, the earthquakes get something out of it rather than letting him go on a free or anything like that. So I think it's a good piece of business from the earthquakes. It's a pretty interesting, you know, when I think 
most times when you think of the U22 initiative, a lot of it is, I guess, with recent developments, you assume it's a youngish player from South America or things like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about young South American players coming to the league very soon. Um, but seeing it be a homegrown player is just a cool thing that I think, like Josh said, that's like kind of what this rule initiative was designed for and a really good example of it. So a good piece of business by San Jose to make sure that he's with San Jose uh, as long as he can be. But when that transfer comes from Europe, the club is definitely going to get a lot from him uh, when the right European team comes knocking. And from everything we've seen from him in the league, um, it's going to be a pretty hefty transfer fee for homegrown players. So obviously a good piece of business on that end. Um, but yeah, I think San Jose making a good decision, locking up their key young player um, and trying to get as much out of him because I think it's pretty much assumed across the whole league that this kid's European bound. He's phenomenal. He's so good. And he's so young. Uh, made a couple of caps with the U S and the future of this looks really bright for him. So good piece of business. I think from San Jose trying to get this kid here for as long as I can, but also get as much out of him when he does head off to Europe. Let's keep it in the West because uh, that wasn't the only resigning that hap- has happened. Uh, this one happened a few days ago, however, and it was, I don't know why they announced it all at once because they could have gotten a lot more social engagement if they'd announced it one at a time. But here we are. Uh, the Seattle Sounders re-signed Zhao Paulo and Xavier Ariaga to non-DP contracts and Raul Rui Diaz to a designated player contract. Now, Rui Diaz had been sort of, there'd been a few rumors around him potentially wanting out. Um, what do you guys think about this for our, from a Seattle perspective? Do you think locking these guys up for a longer period of time is good business? Do you think they should have waited a little bit? Maybe waited until they had a bit more leverage if uh, to a point in the season where they were maybe struggling a little bit. How much of an impact do you think this is going to have on their chances this season, especially after signing uh, Albert Rusnak, I think. Was it Rusnak? Yes, Rusnak. Uh, really good that you both spoke up in an audio-based podcast. Um, Albert Rusnak earlier in the offseason. Yeah, I think, sorry, I wasn't looking at it to see the pointing finger at me, the magical pointing finger. Um, Yeah, I mean, good piece of business. Obviously, we've seen what these guys can do. I think this happened last week. It kind of feels like it was a long time ago because I think we I just think it was, missed. It was like late on Friday it, night. It just so was like, like the day after we recorded. Done. Yeah. Oh, MLS loves those. We love those. Um, sorry, Drew. Why are they doing a Friday night news dump with the re-signing of three of their most key players? I don't know. Drew, you well, to be fair, it was like 8 p.m. Eastern time, so I guess it's like it's five, five o'clock on a Friday. Yeah, they're like done with work, and sh- yeah, I don't know. Maybe it makes more sense for their time zone, but that's dumb. Drew, you work in social media. What could the reasoning be behind that? You know, all respect to the Seattle Sounders social media team. I'm sure they do a phenomenal job and all respect to them, but I don't really understand it either. Um, Because personally, like I watched this league more than the average person, I think, and I didn't know this was a thing until I saw it on a podcast outline. So <laughs> that's just like, again, all credit and love to the Seattle Sounders social media team. Um, if you see a job application with my name on it, please don't turn it down. Um, but yes, yeah, on the social media side of things, I don't really get it. But on the soccer side of things, obviously these guys, like you said, three really good players. Um, Rui Diaz there until 2024. And yeah, these guys staying around for a while of club options. Um, for Ariaga and Paolo for until 
2024 and Ariaga an option in 2024 and 2025. So a little bit um, different deals for those guys. But yeah, I think they obviously see what they can do in the league. Rudy Diaz is only 31, so he definitely still has some years in him, um, especially as that forward. I don't really feel like you need to be, you know, in the best physical shape of your life to be a dominant forward in this league. Um, I totally don't know how old the other two guys are. But, yeah, locking these guys down for a while, going to keep Seattle being as dominant as the team as they have been. So, yeah, good piece of business, lock down your key guys. And I think we'll be seeing them for the league for a very – not a very long time because only a couple of years left on those deals, and we'll revisit this when those contracts expire. But we'll definitely see them for a couple more years. So I think it's just a good piece of business on Seattle's part to keep being as good as they have been and try to keep up – winning championships because that's just what we're used to here in the MLS world. So I think it's a good piece of business lock down your best guys for Seattle's part. Didn't really yeah, I mean, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with Drew. I think it's, you know, it's obviously really smart. It's a good bit of business to get these guys done and for it to be a couple of years into the future is also um, really good as well. One thing that I'm, I'm looking at right now is I'm on Seattle's website and looking they they've actually listed out their current roster and contract status, which is super transparent, super helpful. So you can see like what years are guaranteed and everything. Uh, but I, I'm just all this makes me realize is just how impressed I am with uh, Seattle's ability to build a strong roster. Uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but with the signing of Tiago Almada, Elaine United now have four of the five record highest transfer fees for incoming players in the league. Uh, Toronto FC has the other one in that top five. We all know Atlanta and Toronto like to spend a lot. Imagine if Seattle spent that much, like how much more crazy would they be as a club, you know? And so it's just so impressive that they've been really smart with how they handle things like transfer fees and contracts. Like we see now they're locking up literally spine of their field, right? A defender, a midfielder, and a center forward. And all three of these guys are TAM players. That that to me is super impressive. Yeah. Rui Diaz is a TAM. Uh that is oh, I'm sorry. Not Rui Diaz. He's DP, but the other two are TAM players. I was gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, Rui Diaz is a, a DP, but the other two, Paolo was a DP, he's now TAM, and Ariaga when he was signed. He was a DP and now he's Tam. That's that's more so the two guys I was trying to talk about. But yeah, I just come away super impressed by Seattle and they continue to set the bar as far as a model club for this league. I think Taylor Twelman made a very similar point um, on Twitter. I think that's kind of who I was drawing that from. Yeah, um, and it is interesting to see, or I guess, sort of see the difference in terms of how teams run their clubs. Um, you know, Atlanta goes the young South American route. Toronto FC goes the big name European route. And then you have Seattle building a solid roster through a homegrowns, but also players like Rui Diaz, Jao Paulo and Ariaga. Um, and yeah, I think it's positive for the league that these guys are staying around, especially with, some of the rumors around Rui Diaz and how well Jao Paulo has done. So, yeah, I like it. I think it's a very positive move for the league against Seattle. And we talked about this a bit 
last week. We're not going to dive into it again now. Uh, but D- Douglas Costa was officially announced as a LA Galaxy player. Um, he signed all his paperwork and is at the club now. So, yay, I guess. I don't know. Worth bringing up. Uh, and then our last positive story, or there's two more positive stories in the West. Um, first one being Houston signing Brazilian fullback Zika. I hope I said his name right. Um, I might not have, and in which case I've said the virus name, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> um, he's a fullback. Oh, my God. Remember Zika virus? God, that feels like forever ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not like there's any other viruses you need to think about. Um they're expecting to use him as a right back. He could also play left back. Quickly, Josh, what do you think about the man who shares his name with a virus that isn't Jesus Corona? <laughs> Didn't uh, – no, Corona was picked up by Austin FC, right? Didn't he end up with Houston? Oh, he's played for all three Texas teams, I think. Has no, he? no, no. No, there's only one player, and I can't remember. Oh, Yuruti has played for all, all three. Now that he's signed with Austin. Now, um, now, I don't know. I don't know anything about Zika, the, the player. Uh, and I don't really know, you know, I don't know about Houston's track record under Onstad yet. How do you say his name again? Onstad? Onstad. Yeah, Pat, Pat Onstad. Onstad? I don't uh, know. Pat. You, you, what do you mean you don't know? You called me out for <laughs> yes, mispronouncing I it. I confused myself. Pat Onstad. Pat Onstad. It's an A. Is it? Yes. O-N-S-T-A-D. Okay. So Pat Onstad. <laughs> I don't know his track record yet for signing players. Um, all I'll continue to say about Houston for now is I'm just so excited for their potential. Again, having visited there recently and seeing like the location of the stadium and how prevalent soccer is in the city and to now have owners or an owner that is willing to spend money and we're already seeing the effects of that. And we've got a new head coach. Obviously, Onstad is now new as, you know, GM, technical director, whatever his position is. So I'm just excited. And and for them to continue making moves like this just continues to increase my excitement for them this year. So I don't know if they'll hit the ground running. You know, it'll probably take a while for them to get settled in and to, to kind of mesh together as what is basically a new team, a new era for the team, I should say. Uh, but, yeah, it just I'm excited about signings like this for a team like Houston. Drew, what do you think quickly about Houston signing Zika? Yeah, yeah. I think, again, no idea much about that guy, except he's a versatile fullback. Uh, I think you said they're going to play on using him as a right back, but he can definitely play both in the left and the right. So that's obviously really good when you get a designated player that, you know, if injuries, rotation, and weird stuff like that, that always happens at MLS comes about, he can definitely swap. So that's just really good as well. Um, a point. Is he is he's a designated player? That no, no, I like no, no, I don't. No, think he's so. not. No, he's not. Okay. No, he's not. 
You did just false. false. <laughs> very but yes, okay. This is where I was going with that. Josh was talking about how exciting things are in Houston. And then in the press release, MLS Soccer posted, uh, the Dynamos still have two DP spots open as well as three U22 initiative signing spots open. So Houston, already we've talked. I feel like we've talked more about Houston in the past three episodes than we like ever do. And that's a credit to the signings, this new ownership and everything like that. So yes, exciting times for Houston, um, huge soccer city. It's awesome. And they have the space to do even more. And I think it's just gonna be really exciting with new coaches, new ownerships and things like that. So hopefully it looks like this ownership group realizes the kind of gold mine they're sitting on in Houston, Texas, being a huge soccer city. So super excited about that. And hopefully it looks like it's only going to get better. Obviously we don't know when it'll get better, um, but they have the spots to do it and definitely have the city ownership group uh, to make the most out of it. So really exciting time for Houston. I think Josh was good right on when he said a new era for the club. I think this is a perfect, uh, changing of that and that Houston's going to be a pretty good club for years to come. So good stuff by Houston. I'm super pumped about it. Yeah. But that wasn't the only, as I mentioned, uh, there are two now one positive story left in the East. Uh, and that happened today involving another Texas team. Interestingly, uh, in the FC Dallas, the FC Dallas FC Dallas traded fullback Ryan Hollingshead to LAFC in exchange for Marco Farfan. Josh, you had thoughts. You mentioned that just before uh, we started recording. What are your thoughts about this trade for, from Dallas's perspective and from LAFC's perspective? Hmm. Okay, so I'll start with Dallas's perspective. Um, nice. I don't understand getting rid of Ryan Hollingshead. Now, that being said, it's it's important to note the, the background of this. Hollingshead is in the last year of his deal. He said he planned on leaving Dallas following the season. So this was kind of a best-case scenario for everyone involved. Dallas still gets something out of moving Hollingshead now, um, despite how important he is to the team. And let me reiterate, this man is extremely important to FC Dallas. He was one of the older players on the team. He had been with the organization for a long time. Uh, he was a phenomenal player, is a phenomenal player. Uh, one of the best left backs in the league, honestly. Very underrated, not spoken about much because he, you know, again, playing for Dallas, if you're not one of those academy kids, you're not really drawing any of the headlines or any of the stories. But he was really crucial for them. And so I think for Dallas with this move, it's the best of a bad situation. It's good that they were able to get a left back in exchange in Mar Marco Farfan. And I, what they also got some other stuff too. I can't remember the rest of the, uh, it wasn't just far fun. I think they might've gotten a pick, maybe some money with it. Either way, in the short term, this is going to hurt Dallas big time. They're losing that veteran leadership and they're losing a great player. Um, far fun. It's weird because he was with Portland and then LAFC got him, I think last year, and he did not make much of an impact, if any impact for LAFC. So for Dallas to be now picking him up is interesting to me. I'll say intriguing. So I think this hurts Dallas in the short term. Now for LAFC, we don't know yet because we don't know how Chirondolo is as a manager. We don't know how much that will affect LAFC, but they're going to be really good. They're going to be really good this year. Just look at the moves they've made this offseason, right? They bring in Kellen Acosta. They bring in Franco Escobar, which I think we've all forgotten about. 
you bring in Ryan Hollingshead. You've now just brought in two starting outside backs that have proven that they are above average, if not some of the top fullbacks in the league. Granted, Escobar hasn't been in the league since 20, 2020, but still, he was he was good. He was definitely above average. So LAFC have done nothing except upgrade their back line. And that's in addition to Mamadou Fall, who has been a revelation as I think he's still a teenager coming through Las Vegas lights and now earning a starting position. Um, uh, who's their other center back? He just tore his, uh, his ACL. So he's not, he's going to be out for a while, but he was their best. Um, it, it's blinking. It starts with a U. I, oh man. Quickly. It is one for one. It's just player for player. Uh, according to the MLS article. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe Dallas sees something in Marco Farfan. I'm not convinced. It's Eddie Segura, by the way. I don't know where I got the E from. I guess the era in his name. But Eddie Segura, he will be back at some point this year, probably towards the end of the season. But that is a scary backline. And they just added Maxime Crepeau. I mean, you have just, and, and Acosta as a, a defensive mid, even a central midfielder, I mean, you have just immediately upgraded the back of the defense and they've done it in a smart way by picking MLS veterans to do so, or bringing in their own players, guys like Hollingshead and Crepo and Escobar and Acosta. That's, that's smart team building. In my opinion, for MLS, you want, you know, the sort of flashy foreign players for your attack in midfield. And then you want veteran leadership and experience along the defense and backline and, uh, you know, back as goalkeeper. We've seen that as a very successful recipe for MLS teams, especially in recent years. So, again, we don't know because we don't know how Trundle will be as their manager, but I, I mean, I, I don't want to say any – I don't want to make any predictions about LAFC because we've learned our lesson from last year. But all signs are, point, are pointing to them being very good this year, again. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and they also added, I don't know if you mentioned him, Maxime Capot too. Uh, did you? I Twice. Sorry. Mentioned him twice. Maybe even three times. <laughs> well, uh, I just <laughs> had to bring up the Canadian constantly. Drew. I tried. I know. Drew, what do you think about this trade of Hollingshead for Farfan straight up or Farfan? Yeah, I think Josh hit the nail on the head. Hollingshead's been one of, if not the best left back in this league for quite some time now. Um, so as far as that goes, Dallas is very much going to miss him. Um, and LAFC definitely got a gym on that. And Dallas, however, you know, they've talked about them a lot, making big transfers and things like that, but losing a key player like this, although it seems through just kind of seeing the reaction about this transfer on Twitter, um, Hollingshead is from California. I totally don't know the exact city in California. So it seems very much a well-received transfer across the board. I mean, there's videos of him in the locker room kind of addressing the team. He's been with this team forever. I think he got drafted by Dallas in the 20, da, 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 I'm trying to pull up. He was a super draft pick, I think from Dallas. So obviously he's been with this team for a while. He succeeded with this team for a while. So it seems very much like a, you know, accepted across the board transfer. Um, Farfan won MLS is back tournaments with the Timbers. So he's obviously succeeded in this league before. So that's a good sign for Dallas. They're still getting another experienced veteran MLS player. I don't think the same cal caliber as Hollingshead, 
but I think this is a good transfer calling Saganing to go back home. And it seems very well received um, among Dallas getting one of their best players, although losing him is definitely going to hurt. Um, he's going to go back home and yeah, LAFC is going to be scary. Good. I think it's weird to think about that because when you think of LAFC being good, right. Given the team's only been around for like 20 minutes, it feels like it's always they're good because they bought, you know, the Velas or Rossies and things like that. But now I think the outlook on this team being so good is because they have a bunch of old MLS guys that have succeeded in the league on their back line. So interesting new development for LAFC, new era, I think. Um, but yeah, good move across the board. And we'll see how LAFC is because it seems supposed to be good in a very, very different way than I think we've grown accustomed to seeing LAFC succeed in this league. Yeah, the only thing that scares me about LAFC is that midfield. Obviously, they brought in Kellen Acosta, but apart from that, they're sort of relying on Ellie Sanchez. And that's it, I think. Still have Diego Palacios, but you're right. Losing Edward Atuesta, losing Mark Anthony Kay, you know, those are not easy players to replace by any means. No, one injury to Kellen Acosta and you're in big, big trouble. Uh, so ideally they had another midfielder before the start of the season, but maybe Trundolo has a different plan. Uh, but let's keep going in the Western Conference and um, we'll have, we'll mention this good news and then we'll get into the uh, first of our legal issues. Sebastian Blanco signed uh, a new two-year deal with Portland. Uh, it will be as not a DP. Uh, I believe it'll be a TAM player. He's getting older. He's had his injuries. Do you think that this was a good move and the right move for Portland to make at this point? Or do you think it might have been smarter to cut bait and sort of really start fresh with Valeri gone uh, and try to shape the future of your club in a different direction than Blanco and Valeri. You know, I'm not, he's like you say, he's definitely getting older. Um, I'm going to try and pull up his age right now, but this is a two year deal. So it's not like it's a very long-term type situation. Obviously being a Tam is a big deal. You're not giving this guy, really old player, like you mentioned, injuries. Um, you're not giving him DP money or taking up a DP spot. But yeah, I think it's, he's 33. Okay, so he'll be 35 when this deal is over. I think this is fine. Yeah, I think you're getting a player back that we know. Again, it kind of feels like Diego Valeri, Sebastian Blanco, two guys that when you think of the Portland Timbers, those are the guys you think of. So obviously we've talked about Valeri a lot in past episodes. Um I'm not too disappointed about this. The injuries is the biggest concern, but when, you know, when he came back, I think you start to see Portland make that postseason run, um, getting to host MLS cup. So we always know how important he is, how good Portland can be when he is on the field. He's one of those guys that you always circle when you're watching a Timbers game to make an impact. And because it's only a two-year deal, I'm not too worried about the age. Um, maybe you start to see him more in a come off the bench role. Um, this season, potentially the 2023 season at the last and later end of that deal. But yeah, I think keeping this guy short-term is good. Keeping him around the clubhouse is going to be really good. So I, I think it's fine. The age is not as much of a concern to me as the injuries are, um, because if you sign this guy and then he misses, you know, we've seen ACL tears and obviously that can kind of derail the whole thing. 
Um, so injuries concern me, not so much the age, but I think this might be the last two seasons we see of Blanco in MLS. Um, yeah, I'm not too concerned about it. The injuries obviously worry you as an aging player. And this is a guy who's had a history of injuries. So I'm not too concerned about it, but we know how good he is at Portland. And those injuries can get kind of worrisome with Sebastian Blanco. Josh, you have any thoughts or do you want to go just next to our next point? All I have to say is I'm not really concerned about Blanco's age. And I do think it was good that they went ahead and signed him, especially because the other MLS teams had interest in him. Uh, he's been so important for Portland in the last, you know, three years. He's taken them to two MLS Cups uh, or two in the last four. Uh, but either way, just they they sh- they needed to keep him around. Uh, I and especially since it's a Tam deal, it's not a big deal if he, you know, father time starts to catch up. Um, probably next year when that happens, but yeah, Port Portland uh, they needed to make that move. Let's go to another move that they needed to make. Um, this came to light today. However, apparently it's been something that the club has known about since May. Uh, and that is the situation involving Andy Polo. Uh, it came to light over the last sort of couple days that he'd been accused of domestic violence by his partner or then partner, um, stemming all the way back to last year the club knew about it is sort of the bottom line i don't think we get need to get into the details of what happened or anything like that but the club was aware of it as of i think it was may 23rd maybe may 24th um of last year and they did nothing until today where they suspended him and then completely cut his contract, um, released him. So he's no longer a Portland Timber. He's no longer an MLS. I want to get both of your thoughts about how this was handled because we've known about this or the club has known about this since last May. And here we are on, as we're recording this, I think it's February 10th of 2022 and they've only just now suspended or well uh released polo what do you think was the reasoning behind that and how much should we be concerned that it took this long for a to become public and b portland to do anything about it I, I I don't get it. I'm I'm extremely frustrated by this. Um, the situation itself is awful enough. Domestic violence is, you know, it's it's an awful thing. But the the fact that Portland keeps doing this, they keep hiding information until it blows up on them. And I'm referencing, I believe it was Paul Riley who uh, most recently was fired by the North Carolina Courage and the uh, NWSL, formerly Portland Timber, uh, Portland Thorns coach, sorry. And, you know, you can go find all the information about that uh, just by probably searching his name. It's been very detailed in The Athletic by Meg Linehan and other reporters. But 
How, how can Portland keep messing this up? I mean, was that not enough for them? And they're still dealing with that. And this is so disappointing because Portland is one of the most visible and important markets for this country in soccer, right? The Thorns are huge. The Timbers are huge. They are the most popular teams in that city behind the Trailblazers. And yeah, I just, I'm just so disappointed by it. I, I, that's the only way I can really describe my feelings. And I can't even imagine being a Portland fan because that fan base, those supporters groups are so outspoken and they already have major trust issues with the front office and management and ownership because of the way the thorn situation was handled. This is only going to make that a million times worse. This is only going to break that trust all that much more. So I'm worried about what the fallout with this is going to be. I have a feeling that this is not going to be resolved for an extremely long time, especially between the supporters groups and ownership. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know how to describe it other than extremely disappointing. And, you know, you would think a, a club like this, a popular club, a club that is held in such high regard, especially in the soccer landscape of this country, you would think they would have learned from their lessons and from their past mistakes. And it seems that's not the case. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just shameful really. How do we rectify this? How do we stop this from happening? How does, how do we as fans push and force clubs to be more accountable? Like this, they knew about this in May and didn't do anything until just now. That's not unintentional. They intentionally did that. And we're seeing a reckoning in Chicago with cover-ups in hockey. We've seen numerous different uh, examples in basketball uh, relating to racism and soccer as well. How do we stop it? What, What do we do? Just want to add... Uh, I'll let Drew take that question whenever he rejoins us. I don't even know if he can hear me right now. But uh, I just want to add that what makes this situation even worse, Portland picked up his 2022 option before this came out and after not handling it properly back in May. If that tells you anything about the way the club is handling this. But as far as rectifying it, you know, what, what can we do going forward? Personally, I think it comes down to, you know, fan bases demanding more of their ownership that, and, and again, the Portland supporters groups between the thorns and the timbers, they've been good about this. They, when all of the horrible news about Paul Riley came out and what went down while he was managing in Portland, the supporters groups started actively not giving the club their money. They were not spending any money at concessions. They stopped buying merchandise kits gear, all that stuff. So in terms of rectifying the situation, you have to hit these owners in their pocketbooks. That's the only thing that's going to make them understand that this is not okay. And I hate, I hate that that's what has to be done. And I hate that those words are coming out of my mouth because you'd like to think that these billion dollar owners can at least show a little bit of common sense and compassion towards, you know, their employees but uh, they're incapable of seeing past the dollar signs more often than not. So I, I guess that's just where this has to go. 
Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I think Josh hit the nail on the head um, bringing in the Thorns situation into this because Portland, right? I mean, Portland's such a good soccer city and Timbers fans and Thorns fans, I mean, that Venn diagram is pretty much a big circle. I mean, those fans are absolutely crazy. We all know Providence Park is one of the best atmospheres in just North America in general, and those fans love their clubs. And for this to happen one time is pretty unacceptable. Um, and for it to happen twice is just ridiculous. Like you said, you'd think given the fallout of the Paul Riley situation, um, the club would know that transparency is definitely the one of the most valuable things I think between a club and its supporters groups, given just the close proximity, I think supporters groups have with clubs. I think, I mean, what makes Providence Park so special is the Timbers army is the fans selling it out. And, you know, they have been very outspoken that they demand excellence from their club. And this is not the club being excellent whatsoever. So it's just, you know, one time is pretty ridiculous. And for this happened twice, I think is just embarrassing for the organization, for the league in general. Um, this shouldn't be happening in sports at all. And for it to happen in the same organization twice in less than a calendar year, um, it's pretty ridiculous. So I think, I mean, how you rectify it, right, is I think Josh was right. I mean, you just have to hit him where it hurts in the money. Um, and, yeah, I think that's the only good thing that you can do about the situation is make the fans' voice heard when this stuff starts to happen. Um this has been happening a lot just in soccer in general. I think the Chicago Red Stars are in a similar situation right now. That I don't know the full details, but the NWSL has just been in a crazy whirlwind. And for this to be happening in women's soccer right now, it's such an exciting time for the women's game. Now it's happening in MLS in such a prominent city in the league. It's just ridiculous. Um, so clubs just need to learn that transparency is always – I mean, it's better to be transparent about these things than hide it under a rug, and then when it blows up, fact comes out that you've known about this for months. So I think just being transparent is the only way clubs is the best way that clubs can handle this type of situation. And the Timbers um, and Thorns front office has failed twice now in less than a month about being transparent with its fans, which is very disappointing because their fans are some of the best in the league. I think every team can appreciate what they do in Providence Park and what they do for their club. Now, let's go from one legal situation to another legal situation. Uh, this one less serious and less um, controversial, or not controversial, uh, less at home, I guess. I don't know how to word this, but Darwin Machis, uh rumored to be joining Charlotte. He was in Charlotte. He had done his medical. Everything was good. And then everything fell apart because there are legal issues in Spain. And tell me if you haven't heard um, this before, but legal issues involving a soccer player. Well, we have lots and lots of history of it in Spain. So quickly on Machis before we dive into the follow-up to this uh, and the, <laughs> the response from Charlotte's manager. What do you guys think about Machis no longer coming to Charlotte? How brutal is that for their team? Could this have been avoided? 
what do you think about this entire confusing, kind of hilarious at the same time situation? Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because MLS is a weird league and stuff like this happens, so it's pretty funny. Yeah, as far as that goes, I mean, he's obviously a good player. Um, I think I saw Charlotte was getting around six, seven million dollars for this guy, so they were preparing to spend a lot of good bit of money on him. Um, DP, yeah, and now they're, I mean, I don't want to say so. This is an expansion team, right? This team's probably going to be pretty bad to start the season. Um, so this is not like a they were going to be in Atlanta United, make a playoff spot, and then this happened, and now they're going to be FC Cincinnati. They're probably going to be pretty bad to begin with. And this just kind of continues that because now I'm not really sure who their attackers are. They're pretty short on attacking options. Um, so I think it's definitely not a good situation at all to have a player like this uh, that you were so excited about. We've been, I feel like we've talked about this before, a lot of hype around him and Charlotte coming to an expansion side. So, I mean, now I'm not really sure what they do after this. I'm not sure what any MLS team does when this situation happens, much less an expansion side getting ready for their preseason right now i think they played nashville i think they beat nashville actually in their preseason game so no they like they lost to nashville they lost to nashville 3-1 3-1 they lost to nashville um so yeah for this to happen to any team is rough but expansion team in the middle of preseason i'm not sure how you're going to recover for this but they're probably going to be bad anyway so pick your poison they'll probably get another young attacker and spend money on them anyway so just one more obstacle the team's having to go through Josh, what do you think about this Machuse situation? I think it's a pretty big blow for Charlotte. I mean, this is, a, by all accounts, a very good player, a top player. Uh, I don't really know much about him myself, but from what I was reading, uh, he was really integral to Granada and how well they were playing, and I believe they st- stayed in La Liga because of him and because of how well he was playing, like that he saved them from relegation, essentially. Full-on Venezuelan international. We've seen lots of success from Venezuelan internationals in MLS. So this was tracking to be... (laughs) Have we? This was was tracking to be a very smart, savvy, like strong move from Charlotte. And all for it to fall through. Now, of course, it's pretty funny, objectively. But how did Charlotte miss this? When you're digging into a player, right? Like when you are trying to sign a guy, especially of this caliber, and you're about to drop six to seven million dollars, which is not a insignificant chunk of change for MLS. How are you not doing your due diligence to figure out that this man has a legal issue of some kind? I mean, also that comes back to I'm sure his agent might have been hiding some things, or the player might have been hiding some things. So I hope that's the case that, you know, Charlotte kind of got swindled and, and as opposed to them not doing enough on their end, but this is not a good look. This is not a good look. We are, we are days. We are mere days away from the season starting <laughs> 16 days. And uh, for this kind of thing to fall through like this uh, and, you know, Drew's right. They probably weren't going to be very good, but now they definitely won't be that good if you're not bringing in a player like Machis. So I mean, sucks for Charlotte, but man, this is great content. Man, just imagine a Venezuelan player hiding something from an MLS team before joining. Who would have thought? Um, (laughs) Not putting two and two together. All right. No, no, I figured it out. 
Got it. Uh, let's put it the way that the Charlotte manager views their upcoming season. Uh, and to literally quote him directly, they're screwed. Uh, and making the playoffs is going to be difficult. Very difficult. Is that what you want your manager saying before you kick off your first season 16 days out from your first game? I, Are you asking us if we're players? Uh, players, fans. Yeah, players or fans? Both. Drew. Fans, I admire the honesty. That's what I was going to say. If, if I'm a fan. Players, yeah. Like, well, I haven't seen enough from Charlotte fans in general. Like, I don't know how they're feeling about their season. Like, if they're feeling, like, pretty good or if they're nervous. But if they were feeling really good, it was probably naive of them, in which case Ramirez here has knocked them down a peg, rightfully so. As a player, I don't know. I don't really know how I'd take it. I mean, look. What? Drew, what do you think? Because you're the one who's saying already that Charlotte's probably not going to be very good. If you're a player, do you also think the team's not going to be that good? Or is this like these comments like really hurting your your confidence here? I don't, I mean, you have to think about the, I mean, you just have to, I'm not sure, playing in an expansion side, okay, I feel like it's kind of a weird thing that not a lot of athletes experience, especially in the soccer world, because I mean, if you're bringing these guys over from Europe or South America, these clubs are hundreds and hundreds of years old. Now, fun thing about Charlotte is Anton walks played for an expansion side in Atlanta United. So he's like, I guess he's the guy that says like, Hey, we're probably going to suck guys. It's fine. But given his expansion side experience, they hosted a playoff game. So I don't know. Um, but I feel like they expect, you just have to expect to be bad. Right. I think there's now, if they're in the press, they're going to say, Oh, our expectation is to win MLS cup and blah, 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 all that stuff. But I feel like you have to understand you're not very good. Now, for your manager to say that, I don't know. That would be, to put it as blunt as he did it, I think would be the thing that, like, hurt my morale. Like, if my manager straight up said, yeah, we're screwed, like, that would be something. Um, but for fans, I feel like they, if they were optimistic, I feel like a lot of that was based on this transfer happening. And now that's not happening, all optimism is just gone. So. I don't know how you're supposed to take that. I think the players kind of have this general vibe of, yeah, we're not going to be that good because this is our first season and you're still going to know each other. Fair enough. Let's go next to another except legal situation, except this one's in the past. Tiago Almeida is officially an Atlanta player. Quickly, Josh, can you break down... Almeida and why the team had to do their due diligence in reference to his legal issues. Yeah. So essentially uh, Almada and a teammate were at, I believe it was just at a party and I'm not sure if Almada was partaking um, or if it was the teammate or the teammate walked in, but, one of these players was having consensual sex with a woman, uh, but then it became non-consensual pretty fast. And then a coach of some kind from another club, not Velez, uh, because it was Almada and a teammate from Velez that were involved in the incident. Another coach from another club 
came in and continued to perform non-consensual acts. At the time when, when Almada was listed as a person of interest, there were reports coming out of England, not Argentina, reports coming out of England saying that Almada had been charged. Apparently, that wasn't the case. Apparently, Almada was just listed as a person of interest, and he was never actually brought in for questioning. He was never arrested, definitely never charged with anything in relation to this crime. Now, that coach from the other club, he has been arrested and I believe is on trial and could face up to you know many years in prison um, for this incident. Almada was finally cleared from the investigation last week, which is why it's taken so long for Atlanta to sign. And what's really curious about this is Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra were very open about this in stating that we, you know, the team, they had signed an exclusive transfer option, making them the only team that could purchase Almada once the legal issues were settled. Now, no one knew this at the time. So last summer, when Velez Sarsfield is out here saying, we wish you good luck in America, Almada, like good luck in Atlanta. Everybody's like, what the hell is going on? And then Atlanta came out and commented on it, which they never do, and had to be like, no, 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 no. We did not sign this player, but we retain an option. And at the time, it didn't make much sense. Now it makes perfect sense now that it's been explained. And of course, Atlanta could never comment with any more details than what they did because it was an ongoing legal issue at the time. So that's essentially what's happened. As a fan... I am very relieved because once I saw the news about Almada being involved at all in this incident, it was very, very worrisome. It's a major red flag to go up because I don't want my club bringing in a player like this that has issues like this. I will admit I am not fully convinced that you know he wasn't involved or that he didn't do any wrongdoing. I still think it is a red flag that he was even involved in this incident in any capacity. But I, I do feel very much more reassured by the club now that they've explained why these moves were made, the way this process unfolded. Um, and so I do appreciate their transparency now that they are allowed to be transparent with Almada being cleared from the incident last week. But yes, it, that was a whole thing. It seems like lots of things got lost in translation, especially as to him being charged. And when you go back and look at some of the outlets from England reporting on this, they're not the most reputable sources. And again, there's a good chance that they were embellishing some things to get some clicks and to draw attention to the story. But at the end of the day, it looks like Atlanta has taken care of some things. Now, it is also worth pointing out Almada uh, did a very racially insensitive goal celebration. Uh, in which he uh, pulled his eyes back with his fingers. And I have yet to see any sort of clarification about that. I've seen some people say he was referencing a friend. I've seen some people say he was referencing um, what they down in Argentina, they say Chino um, when referencing um, Asian people. But I'm not, again, I don't know that that is culturally okay for Argentina or not. Apparently it is. Uh, and then there's also people claiming that he was referencing Les Sarsfield's Club World Cup win in Tokyo years back. Uh, and that is sort of like a kind of tradition for them. Now, again, that's not making it okay. And he has apologized for that gesture. Uh, Atlanta United has made it very clear that they will not tolerate anything like that. He's made it clear that Atlanta United has made it clear to him 
he had press availability earlier today. So hopefully that incident, all of this stuff is behind him. I am still a little worried. He's only 20. It's very obvious that this is an immature child that is making some sort of mistakes along the way, whether it's the crowd he hangs around or some racially insensitive moves like that. Hopefully it's better now that he's in Atlanta and he can get, you know, coached properly and instructed well. But uh, for the time being, it seems like Atlanta did do a good job of digging into this and, and taking the proper precautions with the signing. They worked with the league as well, which is, again, reassuring. It's good to see a team actually do something properly for once. Um, so good on Atlanta for doing that. And hopefully Tiago Almada cleans himself up and cleans up this entire situation um, because, yeah, that's – yeah, uh, there's no justification for any of that. Um, but positive story after that, um, all those legal issues. We'll dive into Almada more as a player uh, at a later date. We'll probably do a season preview for each team uh, before the season starts. Hopefully, we'll see. <laughs> that might be too much for us, but... Zerdan Shakiri is signing with Chicago. We already knew this. We knew it was going to happen, but it's now official. The fee, I can't remember if we mentioned it last week, is going to be 7.5 million euros. Uh, I'm not sure what the salary is. I saw potentially like 7 million bucks a season, but I don't know if that's true. That might have been the transfer fee. Uh, either way, excited to see Shakiri in MLS. Did we comment on this last week? I think we did. No, no, it had not come out last week. Oh, okay. What do you guys think about Shakiri coming here? Uh, guy who used to play for Liverpool plays is a pretty key cog in uh, the Swiss national team on their Euro runs and all that stuff. So, what do you think about Shakiri coming to MLS? Do you think he's going to work? Do you think he'll be good? Do you think he'll fit, or is he going to be a massive flop? I don't think I think he'll be good. Yeah, I think he's not he's not terribly old. Um he's only 30 years old. So he's definitely not you know some washed up. I think this kind of signing it just gets assumed now in MLS that when a player of that caliber that has played for those clubs like you mentioned comes to the league it's just assumed that they're 35 um just here to retire and things like that. Now I'm not saying Shakiri isn't here to retire. Who knows what will happen after this? Um, how long is the, I don't even know how long everything is, how long he's lent, uh, linked with Chicago. Um, but yeah, I think he'll, I think he'll be good in the league. I'm excited to see Chicago changing and becoming just a new dynamic, exciting club, right? We've talked about their acquisitions in the past. Um, getting Shabilko. So it's exciting times for Chicago. Um, yeah, I think it'll be good. I'm excited about it. 7.5 million, like you said. And I think, yeah, Chicago obviously hasn't been very relevant in that market, really just MLS at all. And for a big city like Chicago, I think this is going to draw a lot of attention to the fire. And that is only going to mean good things for the league with the team in one of the biggest cities in the country in Chicago, getting that much attention, having a star player like this. So I think he's going to be really good for the league. I think he's going to be good for Chicago. Um, 
I'm not sure how much of a contender he's going to turn them into as far as making the playoffs or things like that. But I think he'll, I, I, no, I'm not going to say that yet. I don't want to make any preseason predictions just yet, but yeah, I think he's going to be good in the league. I think Chicago is turning a page and becoming a new club after being irrelevant for so many years. And I think this is just another sign of that. Josh, what do you think about Shakiri? I think this is a home run signing. And I think this will help Chicago make the playoffs this year for the first time since 2017 when the club signed Bastian Schweinsteiger. I think this is a very similar signing in that, you know, in a similar vein. Granted, Shakiri is a bit younger than Schweinsteiger was. He, you know, Schweinsteiger was definitely at the end of his career when he joined Chicago, where Shakiri is still pretty much in his prime. And the other thing that makes this an amazing signing, in my opinion, Shakiri's got to be at his best because it's a World Cup year and Switzerland is already qualified. So if he, while he is pretty much a lock for the squad because he's their captain, if I'm not mistaken, and he's obviously an important figure for the team, he's going to want to be playing at his best. He's going to be want, he's going to want to be in good form. He's going to want to be healthy. Therefore, he's going to have to work in Chicago and help out that squad. And I think he will. Um, I don't know enough about him as a player himself. Obviously, he's been, you know, with some big clubs, won the EPL with Liverpool a couple years ago, despite not really being a starter for them. Um, But either way, I mean, I just, I have a really good feeling about this move for Chicago. And uh, I think he's, I think it's going to be a really, really good. I think this will be a sign that we look back on and we're like, yeah, this was a, this was a great signing. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm excited to see him in person too. Um, and him going up against uh, Lorenzo Insigne. And I think they're, they played July 13th, I think. Um, so that'll be right as Insigne is arriving. That'll be a very fun game to watch. Uh, but big name talents, big name players continue to come to MLS. Uh, and another big name player who's come to MLS after transferring um, about two weeks ago and is now back on loan is Caden Clark. Uh, he is back at New York Red Bulls on loan. The big part of this entire announcement and Clark joining New York was the hoops that New York had to jump through before they were able to bring him in. Specifically, they had to make two trades. The first one with Toronto FC, where they acquired an international roster spot and the second spot in the allocation list for $575,000 in GAM. And then subsequently trading the number two spot for the number one spot, as well as $100,000 in GAM with Cincinnati so that they could acquire Caden Clark on loan. Now, have we ever seen a more MLS move than what the New York Red Bulls just had to do in order to bring back their own player. Yes or no. Good content. I don't think we've seen it's uh no. This is like the most because it's the most Red Bull transfer to have a player like this. Just some random which obviously we've seen Kane Clark like tear it up in the league. But Kane Clark is like that dude that just shows up as like 18, tears up the whole league and you're like, who the heck is this kid? So now for him to go back to Red Bulls. And I think Cincinnati now is back in the number one spot of the allocation order because Red Bull, the way I understand it is yeah. that because Red Bulls used that, Cincinnati bumps back up. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so, I mean, I guess Cincinnati's super happy. They just got 100000 in a game. And, I mean, I don't know if they were going to get Kay Clark in the first place. So, I'm not sure how the whole weird thing works. But I think if you ever have a transfer, because MLS journalists and, like, MLS people, like, are understand this, like, shenanigans of this league more than the average person does. And if you have a transfer that even, like, MLS pundits are like, we don't know what the heck just happened – that's the best kind of transfer because you have like Tommy scoops and like Paul Tenorio and these guys that like are supposed to understand this stuff so much. And they're like, we don't know what the heck just happened. Those are the best transfers. My favorite part of this move was Sam stage commentary. He said receiving a hundred K in gam and the number two spot in the allocation order in exchange for the number one spot in the order, then immediately moving back into the number one spot. Once Red Bulls got Caden Clark, he said legitimately the best roster move in FC Cincinnati history. And you know what? He's, he's not wrong. He's yep. not wrong. So yeah, I mean, this is, it's silly. It's just so silly. It's so mls Is it the worst one? I don't think so. I, I think gam for gam trades, like allocation money for allocation money trades back when you could trade Tam for gam or vice versa. Like those are like the epitome of MLS or like uh, trading gam for a, allocation order spot in the grade two re-entry draft stage two whatever you know obscure niche like mls roster mechanisms that exist i think that's a little more up there as far as like most mlsc but this is a new one this is a new category you know reacquiring your own player and losing money because of it like that is just (laughs) we need this it's up there we need this in like the fifa manager mode like, you know, how you can be a manager and, like, take over. Like, if I want to be the manager of Atlanta United, I want to get an email in my inbox that says the Chicago Fire want to give me $100,000 in GAM for $250,000 in GAM. I think that would make everything so much simpler if FIFA players could understand this rule. We need this in FIFA 25 ASAP. Yeah, true. FIFA 25 because it's going to take them three years to figure out how the hell <laughs> to understand what rules they're putting in. They're trying to get people to buy the video game, not scare them away from it. <laughs> yeah, that shouldn't do that then. It had it featured everything except a super draft pick, a player acquisition, allocation order, and and an international roster slot. All of it. It features everything. Um, but let's go next to one of the teams that benefited off of that, specifically Toronto FC who have a couple moves, one official, one very rumored, although we don't really know if it's going to happen. But first one they made, and it's official, is they acquired Jesus Jimenez, Jimenez, English, uh, from... Actually, it's Spanish, but... Okay, yes, I'm... (laughs) Speaking, how is that? Uh, Signed Jesus Jimenez from... And this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> Gornik Zabrze. Zabrze. <laughs> it's a Polish team, basically. Uh, he's a Spanish international who can play apparently all three positions. They paid his release clause, which was 650,000 euros. Um, I believe he was out of contract in the summer. So a bit of an odd one. I might be wrong on that. I assume neither of you know anything about Jesus Jimenez. Now, fair assumption. He's a striker. He's an attacker. And right now, TFC could use one of those. Um, A lot to give up, but 
Hopefully he's a good addition. We'll see. He's a stopgap at least until Insigne arrives, I guess. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> What's the G Vico's not a TFC player, right? No, he isn't. He officially signed with Sampdoria in the Serie A on a six-month contract. The Retirement really- League. Hmm? <laughs> Retirement League. Yes, Serie A. It is. It is. Uh, Nani, Zlatan, Jovinko. Yeah. <laughs> Who's next? When are we going to see? Douglas Costa when he flames out with LA Galaxy. He was already there, though. Right? Exactly. It's time for him to go back. Go hey, back to that retirement hey, league, bro. <laughs> when are we going to see Sebastian Legette go there at the age of 35? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> Might be reaching a little bit there. Um, but yeah, he's back in Syria. The rumbling, rumblings that I've heard and seen rumored of is potentially he comes back in the summer. But moving back to the 13th spot now in the international or allocation order probably makes it a bit more difficult. I don't know. This is a very weird situation. Good for Seba though, getting a chance to go play in Syria after I believe it was Quagliarella was injured. Um, yeah, you look at me. You're looking at me. No, I, I don't. I don't know the name. So I thought you were trying to say Cagliari at first. No, I was like, nah, man. But Clag- then, then you finished. Yeah, Cagliarella. Uh-huh. I believe he's pretty old too. Um, Italian striker. So, uh, good for Giovinco is sort of the bottom line. He was training with TFC, uh, but ultimately they decided to go in a different direction, according to him. But who knows? Final little bit of TFC news: Brazilian Auro Junior is maybe close to a move to Santos, uh, which would be alone with I. Th- Think an option to buy. It might be an obligation. Bit of an interesting one. It would leave TFC with a singular starting caliber fullback in Kamar Lawrence, who they also reportedly want to trade. Um, a, there was also a picture recently. Uh, I believe it was Carlos Salcedo posted with Auro in the background at training. So we don't really know what's happening. He might be going to Santos. He might not be. It's anybody's guess at this point. But yeah, very interesting in terms of the backline for TFC as they continue to offload everybody apart from Chris Mavinga. Let's finish off with another Brazilian defender. This one signing in MLS. Interestingly, though, not from the Brazilian league, instead from the Japanese one. Tiago Martins has signed as a designated player. He's a center back with NYCFC. This has been a trend we've seen sort of emerging in MLS where clubs are signing designated player center backs. We've seen it with Salcedo. Uh, Montreal did it. I think there's been another couple teams who've done it too. I want to get your thoughts on this signing for NYCFC. Do you think this is good? I believe he's 26 years old, so he's not very on the young side. How do you think he's going to do? Do you think this is what NYCFC need in another center back? Is this a smart What do you think? First off, I think it's so cool that a DP from the Japanese league is a center back. That's just like awesome that we really don't see a whole lot of action in the Japanese league. I think we've seen a little bit before, but like you mentioned, yeah, I feel like we had talked about a DP center back before in this transfer window. So 
yeah, that's kind of a cool trend that we're seeing. But yeah, I mean, I think obviously, right, NYCFC coming off winning MLS Cup, um, one of the best defenses in the league last year. I think they allowed, man, I totally wrote this down. And I totally botched it. Um, 36 goals allowed, third best in the Eastern Conference. So we know this defense is good. He'll be there. Obviously, they have CONCACAF Champions League coming up really fast. Um, and they'll just have, because of that, a crazy kind of first half of the season. So we know depth is going to be super important. And, you know, he obviously is a talent that provides that depth and provides just more good, talented bodies to play on that back line. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, for any player transitioning to MLS is going to be so hard. But then you put him on a baseball field and tell him to go play soccer. It's going to be even harder. So he's going to he's going to be a normal signing. I think I think he's going to be very good. Um, already a good defense from last season. and. Yeah, he's joining a club that's successful, that knows, has a good, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, transfer kind of network scouting department. That's what I was looking for, obviously, with the City Football Group. So I think, yeah, I mean, when they make transfers, um, NYCFC obviously have the resources to make good moves, and I think it's going to take some transitioning given that he's jumping into a CONCACAF Champions League nonsense mess defending champ so every team is going to give nycfc their best and he's doing all of this while playing on a baseball field which i'm almost certain he has not done before and it's going to be freezing cold um when he's playing on a baseball field in march and then if they make a playoff run and again he'll be playing in new york city in december so it'll be a tough transition for him because this is a pretty weird year for nycfc but city football group knows how to scout players um so i think he'll be a good signing for nycfc and a defense that was already really good last year. Josh, what do you think about Luis, not Luis, Tiago Martins? I have a tweet up that I'm going to ask you after we talk about NYCFC uh, involving a Luis. What do you think about the Tiago Martins as a DP center back signing by NYCFC? I mean, I feel like it's going to be the same as all the other DP center back signings that we've gotten so far. Again, he'll probably just be bought down at some point. Um, but, you know, they needed either because of the transfer fee or whatever his initial salary is. Um, I do think it's smart from NYCFC as far as addressing their depth issues goes. Uh, they kind of ran into some issues along their back line just from injuries. So this is just good planning on NYCFC's part. Uh, but again, I do think they'll get that bought down. If anything, they'll probably bring in another player in the summer window. They're usually pretty good about filling their DP and U22 slots. Uh, and they also might have another DP on his way out soon, ideally, in which case they'll have to uh, find a replacement for him as well. Um, so they, it looks like they're going to have a lot of flexibility going forward with those spots. Yes, and as you just mentioned, uh, potential DP on the exit is Tati Castellanos. Uh, the NYCFC have received a $10 million bid from River Plate for Castellanos. Uh, Tati wants to go, obviously. NYCFC don't want him to go because they've already rejected a bid earlier or back in December uh, from Palmeiras. That was $12 million for Castellanos. So holding firm, we'll see whether or not he goes. We'll see whether or not they need a new striker. Um who really knows at this point, to be honest, but we're going to wrap up here because I have one thing I want to ask both of you about. This is a tweet that was 
tweeted at 9.13, and we're recording at 9.20, so seven minutes ago, from Cesar Luis Merlot at CL Merlot. Luca Martinez Dupuy. The Mar- I think it's Dupuy. D-U-P-U-Y. The Mexican-Argentinian is in advanced negotiations to become a reinforcement for Atlanta United. There's a formal offer for a one-year loan with a purchase option. What, what? do you think about this, Josh? Uh, first of all, what the heck? Um, let me see. Who is this guy? He is 20 years old. Who plays oh. as a forward for Rosario. There we go. So that's it. He's 20. He's going to take the U22 slot that is currently occupied by Eric Lopez, but will be vacated as soon as Lopez's loan to Bonfield goes through. So you think this is a Lopez replacement? Yes. Got it. Interesting. Well, I just saw that come across my Twitter feed, so I thought I'd include it in this episode. But, yeah, I think that's it. I think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover. Anybody have anything else they want to say? Did we talk about Tati Castellanos? Yeah, we did. did. I did bring it up. My bad. Definitely zoned out. Yes, you probably did. Although, fair enough, I did when you were talking earlier too. So (laughs) we're so engaging. We're so engaging that people just don't tune out. Um, But yeah, Drew, say your spiel. My spiel, the weekly spiel. Yes, thanks guys so much as always for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys listening to us ramble about MLS transfers and everything like that. And as always, be sure to tune in next week as we will have actual soccer to talk about. CCL is here in five days, five, six days, some crazy like that. Wow, it's nuts. So next week we'll have soccer to talk about. I'm sure some crazy will happen in MLS and we will talk all about that. So be sure to tune in next week. And as always, visit the website mlsmultiplex.com to check out all our awesome written content from our awesome team of writers. And be sure to visit the website's Twitter at MLS Multiplex to see stories as they get posted. And yeah, be sure to follow us on Twitter, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, and Connor at CWG Somerville. Check out our fun tweets about hockey, football, and everything in between. So thank you guys again so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week because we will have soccer and I'm sure transfers to talk about. And we'll talk to you then next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.